Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Welcome back. We are glad that you're here listening and so excited to introduce you to our guest, Giselle Mogan. I said I'm excited to introduce you to her, but maybe by the end, what I should have said is that I'm so zen and relaxed to introduce (laughs) Giselle Mogan. (laughs) Throughout her 20 years of practicing restorative and meditation, Giselle has enjoyed teaching thousands of classes, workshops, private sessions, teacher trainings, and retreats across Canada, US, and now Thailand. We might have to come. Um, (laughs) From um, her own experience of dealing with um, chronic Lyme disease, anxiety, and sleep issues, she has developed a deep commitment to empower and support others on their healing journey. Giselle has continuously studied with many teachers and holistic doctors around the world to always improve her ability to share practical, nourishing, and healing tools. With an emphasis on self-care and mindfulness, Giselle loves to provide insights and motivate others to show up for themselves to realize their own natural abilities to heal and live the life they truly desire. Welcome, Giselle. Thank you. Such an honor to be here, ladies. Thank you so much. (laughs) You know, I I do have to say right here, it is an honor to have you. And um, we have recorded and met a couple of times, so I'm thrilled (laughs) that (laughs) we have been able to reconnect and talk what this is our third or fourth time. Um, So, yeah, it's just nice to have spent so much time reconnecting and talking about sleep and your passion for helping people with restorative yoga. Do you really call it restorative yoga or just restorative? I tend to call it more restorative now. It is restorative yoga, but I I like to call it restorative because sometimes the word yoga throws people off. And I think restorative is more inviting to everyone. Absolutely. I language, you know, we've talked about this on several of the episodes, how important language is and how much it can impact how we hear and then embody what we hear. Um, yeah. So yeah, and you know, just because we have all this technology, we're talking to Giselle from Thai, we're not from Thailand, but she's in Thailand right now. Yay. So to be able to, <laughs> to bring a universal um, international flavor to, to the season, I think ending the season of embodiment with you is, is poetry in motion. 
you know, it's this perfect ending to this circle that has no beginning or end. And um, so we'd love to, you know, last week or last episode, Teresa and I were talking about practices that, that are nourishing to us, practices that um, we have felt have been essential on our road to embodiment in the direction we want to go. Because, uh, of course, yes. there's embodiment of things that uh, we hold on to that get stuck in there. We'd love to hear from you about the practices that have allowed you to I don't want to use the word transcend, although I love that word. Um, yes. But maybe transcend sort of to me feels out of body, but those things that allow you to stay in your body, but feeling well and healthy and and ready. Yes. So I, I, do use, I do use many, many practices on a daily basis. I would say that the one I use the most though is being out in nature. So um, getting my feet on the earth every single day. I love being by water. Um, I'm really, I feel really connected to all the elements of nature. So I like to connect to the earth. I love to connect to water, to fire, to the air. So it's just kind of a, a mindful practice that I use when um, I'm in the swimming pool or if I'm going for a walk in the park here in Bangkok. So that's sort of more of a day-to-day -day practice that I use um, just going outside locally um, but I obviously use a lot of restorative right because this is what I teach and I do believe I practice what I preach I love restorative so I use that practice all the time and I also use a lot of divine sleep yoga nidra meditations simply because if I don't sleep well or if I'm not feeling grounded it's one of those practices that takes me through eight stages that take me really into this deep, deep place where I really get out of the busy mind. Um, and then, of course, I have all the other small practices that I use in my sleep program. But I would say if you were to ask me which ones I use the most, it's being outside, connected in nature, meditating every day in whatever shape or form that is. Sometimes it's going to a temple. Sometimes it's in the swimming pool. Um, and then, of course, restorative and divine sleep um, yoga nidra are the ones I use the most. I have a question. Do you mind just to sort of because it links back to last week, too, that we were talking about, you know, maybe the differences between living a mindful life and having actual practices. So when you go out into nature, what is the practice you do when you're in nature that that sort of I don't want to accept, but that distinguishes it from simply taking a walk or being in nature? So I do a lot of different things. Some some of them might seem very weird, but for example, weird. in bank <laughs> in Bangkok, you know, when I go to the park, I'm really connected to flowers. And so um, what I did a few weeks ago, and of course, with everything going on in the world, I wanted to just sit still and set good intentions for everything that's going on in the world in Ukraine. Um, and so I took flowers that had already fallen from the trees. Beautiful, they're called frangipani flowers, which are my favorite flowers. And I, I just made a big heart made out of the flowers. And then I took yellow flowers from another tree that had fallen and I drew the peace sign inside. Mm -hmm. And then I just sat on the bench and just meditated, you know, looking at this, this heart with the flowers that had fallen because even the fallen flowers represent letting go and surrendering, right? Surrendering to the highest good of all. And uh, it was just interesting because the guy that was cleaning the park happened to walk by and saw this massive heart that I had drawn with flowers on the sidewalk. And he actually stopped and he just, you know, kind of joined me, which is so interesting. He kind of joined me 
in that silent moment. And then he asked if he could take a photo. But it, it was so interesting because for me, it felt like I was connecting to this man um, that I didn't know that was cleaning the park while we were meditating together because we didn't have to speak. We didn't speak the same language. I don't speak Thai and he didn't speak English. And yet we felt connected in that moment of, you know, sending love out to the world kind of thing. The two of you are so much alike. I mean, I hear your voices in each other, but have you ever seen those monks who do the sand mandalas mm -hmm. and yes. that they spend those just intricate you know, time and energy creating them just to blow them away? And that's what yeah. I, the feeling I had when you were talking about creating the heart and the peace sign from fallen flowers that were going to be blown away at some point, um, but it wasn't yeah. about keeping it. Exactly. And it's very meditative too, while you're making the heart. So it's not about making the heart and then saying, I'm going to sit down and meditate mm -hmm. to answer your question. It's while I'm creating the heart, that is my meditation. And that wasn't planned. It was just one of those things where I got there and I was drawn to doing that. I have a similar connection to flowers and being outside. It's something that I also do every day. Um, usually twice a day is just to get out. And what I really love about being where I am right now is being able to walk the same paths, the same trails in the middle in spring when everything here on the East Coast in the United States is coming into bloom. So you're looking at the flowers that have fallen to be able to start your meditation. I start my meditation by noticing how much more the blooms opened. Like the, mm -hmm. a lot of the trees are covered in buds, but we're in that succession of blooming of different flowers. We're just about to have the dogwoods open. I noticed that today. But the same thing, my meditation stops when I notice the first bud and Beautiful. it begins and then the walk begins being just being mindful, but having the practice to know that each that nature is just opening up into its rebirth right now. And yeah. so that becomes the intention um, of my meditation. And it starts with the first step out the door. Yes, I yes. love it. But, you know, one of the things that I've noticed and you I've, I see your beautiful images on your um, Facebook and Instagram with all of the beautiful places that you choose to stop in nature, not just with your flowers, as you're describing, which sounds amazing, but that there's a, a variety of different places and it's you're always outside. I feel very connected to you when I see what you're doing because being outside is also a deep passion of mine. That's, uh, there's something about embodying nature. You talk about the elements, and of course we're made of the same elements um, that nature is. And even in, so, in saying it that way, I've almost separated us from nature, rather than it sounding inclusive, that nature is inside of us. We share those same elements that you bring into your practices. Can you tell us more about some of the specific different types of practices that you use that involve nature? You mentioned fire and water, and I know you love to swim. Yeah, so, um, so for earth element, I would say walking is the one I use the most. Um, I also love being high up. So for example, if we're hiking and we're up on a mountain, 
for me, that's when I feel the most grounded and connected. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's actually when I'm high up, but on a mountain um, or anywhere, almost anywhere in nature, standing on rocks. Uh, of course, swimming, I would say, is more as far as the water element is the one I use the most because I have access to it every day. And for me, water is really, I think water, the water element is really important more than ever right now with all the grief coming up in the world um, from what's been happening in the last few years and what's currently happening. I think it's really almost like a cleansing, a purifying. And as you talked about the spring, uh, really calling in the element of water for cleansing, for cleansing, detoxifying, purifying. Um, also the water for me is all about going with the flow. So for me, I love being by water or immersed in water because I need to be reminded to just go with the flow and trust that we're exactly where we need to be in every moment, right? And then you have the element of fire. So the element of fire sometimes is through a candle. Um, if I'm attending a class, I love the element of fire or uh, I'm not doing it now in Thailand, but even being around a bonfire, um, I, I love the fire because the fire reminds me of transmuting what no longer serves us and then asking to realign with our truth, to realign with that light that is already within us, to realign with the light that is within um, all of us. And so even if I'm not present with an actual fire, I do it through my visualization. So while I'm swimming, I bring in all of the elements. So even the fire element is brought in through my third eye and calling in the fire to burn away what we no longer need and to realign with the truth. And then of course, bringing in the air, that's through my breath. So even through swimming, as I'm swimming, I'm bringing in the air element to, to remind me of just deep breathing in and out, you know, breathing with ease and grace. So it doesn't even have to be a specific breathing technique. Sometimes we get so caught up in, am I doing this technique right? Which technique should I do today? And sometimes I just wanna swim and just breathe in and breathe out and that's it. But it's just a reminder to come back in the present moment when we bring in the air element. So every day, this is something, it's like a ritual for me. Uh, maybe a ritual is not the right word, but when I get in the pool, it's automatic that I face all four directions as well, the east, the south, the west, the north, and I also um, bring in all of the four elements, if that makes sense. It totally does. And you know, one of the things we aim to do with this, this whole podcast is connect the individual stories with the collective. And as someone who travels a lot and you, you know, stay places, you get to know people, you get to be a part of different cultures. We talk about what culture and embodiment mean. We talk about all these things, but that the things that we have in common, we know we all have a body with, you know, whatever's working or not working. We all have these bodies and we are all the elements. We are all natured and we have the elements around us, whether or not we're aware or mindful of that. So my question to you is, how in your travels have you been able to maybe connect, connect, hi Siva, <laughs> connect the, um, instead of, you know, pushing, pushing them away, we could, you know, bring them in. Um, that to, this, to see the universality of things, to see how we are connected, and maybe even through our differences where the threads are still connecting us. 
Um, have you experienced that with the humans that you've met, the animals you've met, the nature that, because topography, topography is going to be different wherever you go, but the, yeah. you know, those common threads that, that we can weave together to remind us that we are, we are one. Yes. I mean, I think it's just like the gentleman that I met in the park with the flowers. It's like we, we didn't have to speak, you know, he didn't understand English and I don't understand Thai. Um, but we, I, and yet I felt so connected. We both felt so connected and like we could see it by looking at each other's eyes in that moment. It was almost like the, our eyes kind of watered a little bit. It was just a brief moment, but it was just a deep heart to heart connection that we're all human. We're all in this together and i mean and and even there's this lady down the street i think i mentioned her to you before but all she sells is bananas that's all she sells we never we never talk to each other but we say hello through eye contact every day and we we kind of like bow to each other like hello and in that moment it's just a heart to heart connection with this women that i don't know and i feel that this happens everywhere we travel whether i'm in peru uh, whether we're in Iceland, where it, do, it doesn't matter. There's, there's something about connecting with the eyes, which I think we're learning to do more through this pandemic, um, which I think is amazing. I learned for myself that I was never connecting with the eyes. It's almost like I would shy away. And now I would say that my sight is what I focus on when I connect with people that I don't know no matter where we travel, whether it's in Peru, in Iceland, in South Africa. And again, we don't understand each other, but whether I'm in a safari up on the mountain um, with this lady selling bananas in a side street <laughs> or in the park, there's this deep connection that takes mm -hmm. place that is just a reminder of that cultural embodiment where it creates this sense of community, right? Where no words need to be said but we're all connected. We are all um, united. We're all interconnected always, no matter where we are. I was reading the other day and reminded that something that maybe we know, but don't really pay attention to is that we share that breath and that the air that we're breathing in today, being on different sides of the earth, we're 12 hours apart. So for you, it's uh, 8.30 in the morning. For, well, we're recording for us, it's 8.30 at night. But in the, while I was reading, what was shared was that the breath that I'm exhaling is on the other side of the earth in two days. Mm -hmm. And I can really feel that connection when, you know, when I'm talking to somebody who is on the other side of the earth and knowing that your exhale is part of our inhale and the same thing. So as Sherry was saying, we look for those stories from individuals and take them into the collective and not that all of the elements don't unite us in some way, but the breath is a really special one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, you know, you look at all the senses as well too, right? Because even the sense of touch, you're bringing in the breath, but also the sense of touch I'm finding is also something that we're craving as human beings that we're really I'm missing. sorry, are you sure you two aren't the same person? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm having a mind melt here. Like, I, <laughs> hearing it come from you, Giselle, but I, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> but the sense of touch, you know, even this lady, sometimes, you know, I'll come by her and just kind of bring my arm around her and and again that's just an another you know we have our sense of sight we have our sense of, of touch or sense of smell but 
you know, touching someone, just a tap on the shoulder, sort of like, I acknowledge you, you know, hello. And I think there's something about with everything that's going on right now, that that's something we're all really craving more than ever. And that's why even when I do restorative, even the blanket, even if there's not another human being placing a blanket around me, the blanket is almost, it helps with that sense of touch to create a sense of safety, right? Mm -hmm. Because the sense of touch for a lot of people can can create uh, very much safety as well. Yeah. And, you know, you said putting the arm around to have that connection. It reminded me, like, I'm a massage therapist, so touch is my profession. But touch is reciprocal. And when you talked about it, you said, you know, just making that connection and putting my arm around her and acknowledging um, was also her touching you. And I always, you know, it's, I like to remind myself after all the people that, I mean, I've touched thousands of people in my profession. Um, massage therapists are about the only people that I'm aware of that touch other people for an hour at a time, you know, multiple mm. times in a day. And I, I, I have to say, when I started massaging, I don't know that I actually made the connection that when I'm touching somebody, they're touching me. Mm. But over the years, as I started to feel the benefits of um, sharing touch, it became just so clear that touch is reciprocal and it's an energy that is shared and gifted to both, regardless of who the person is who initiates the touch. And it's clear. You can see it. When I lived in New York City, you know, there are a lot of homeless people everywhere you go. You're walking up and down in the streets and it's just it, where we are now. It, it, it's almost invisible. But in New York, you know, if I was giving someone my leftover food or or some change or whatever, I always made it a point to touch them because mm -hmm. I always asked myself, when was the last time someone touched this person in kindness? You know, yes. and even though it was just a moment, there was clearly, I mean, I, I say clearly because I was looking for it and I was hoping there would be some some kind of, um, you know, effect. But it did feel like there was an extra little bit of a smile, a little extra something, you know, that uh, people that we don't always see. The power of touch, man. And you two, you have to do something together. You know, there's so much crossover. It's just, it's magical. But I, I agree with you, Sherry, with, um, you just gave the example of helping someone that's homeless. We've been doing that a lot here in Thailand, where when we have leftovers at a restaurant, we always get a goodie bag. And we, because there's been so many homeless people through this pandemic. And like you said, you know, you touch them, you leave them, a, a, you know, the, the leftovers. And it's amazing. They really, at least here, they, they actually acknowledge. They actually, they're, they're half asleep and they will actually bring their hands at their heart space and, and really say thank you, right? They say it in Thai, but they say thank you. And it's just such a, a great feeling to connect with such, with a stranger, right? That, know, that you know that this leftover food will probably be so helpful for him, even if it's just for, for the next day, right? And that, you know, in both of those examples, it's acknowledging that if any of us are ill, disconnected, um, struggling, when we're talking about these practices and being mindful um, and the lifestyles of intention, that what goes on with one is the collective, it is universal, 
that if somebody is hungry, we're all, we are hungry. So that sharing and that gifting of what we have that we're not using and allowing um, and remembering, not allowing, but remembering to share it and to do it with kindness and compassion. And of course, if you're adding touch, <laughs> it's just, it's just healing, you know, touch is just healing. Um, it's got a mat, it's got a power to it of connection that I can't find in other ways. I agree. Giselle, you are a passionate and com compassionate and passionate person that I, it is clear that you live a purpose-driven life. There is no doubt about that. Um, what is your purpose? What is your mission? If you, when you leave this earth, what is it that you would like to live in your wake? Like, what is it that you want people to know about Giselle? Not only about you, but what, what would, what do you want to leave? And I, I don't mean to be morbid. I'm, we're not, you know, going anywhere, but there's this <laughs> sense of, you know, that, you know, what was I reading something the other day that, um, uh, Oh, it was around Easter, and we were talking about, I was reading things about Jesus, because I'm Jewish, and I wanted to know a little bit more. And someone wrote this beautiful thing and said that it was his life, more than his death, that was purposeful, that was meaningful. And, you know, what we put on is a different thing, and I'm not getting into religion, but I thought that was a really beautiful thing, that it's your life that, that has the purpose. So yeah. what is your purpose, and um, what do you want us to do? Yeah. I mean, the first word that comes to mind for me is definitely compassion. I, I really, uh, compassion for self and compassion for others. So be kind to others, but also remembering to be kind to ourselves, because I think that's what I've struggled with um, the most. It's still what I struggle, miss, I struggle with the most. Um, but just to be compassionate, be kind to each other. And, and spread love and kindness in any way we can, right? And, and it can be in the smallest of ways. We know that it doesn't take much. I'm doing it here in Thailand in the smallest of ways. It doesn't cost anything. And yet you, you feel the ripple effect, even here at the hotel uh, with the staff, just small little things. Just go out and spread love and kindness. I think that would be the main thing that I would say is, is so mm. important. And then of course, um, do that for yourself as well, because when we do it for ourselves, then it's so much easier to do it even more with the world in a big, in a bigger way, in a bigger way. When did you discover practices? When did you discover that there was a path or were you always on the path? Were you born on the path or did you choose the path? You know, which, I mean, when did the paths converge? Um, just because we were all kind of traveling this spiritual path, whether we're, you know, humans in a spiritual body, spiritual people in a human, you know, whatever, however you want to put that. But, you know, what is your process? Well, how did you start this? So, so for me, I would say the first time, I, it wasn't always my path. Um, <laughs> it, it was actually when I was a school teacher back in Canada for 14 years, and I actually burned out. I was just completely done. And that's when, to get me back up on my feet, that's when I discovered uh, restorative yoga. And then I really dove into restorative yoga. That was my big kind of hit over the head kind of thing. The second one was having chronic Lyme disease about five years ago. I would say that was another massive, massive game changer where I would say, you know, bringing in more practices. So the first, the, the burnout as a teacher was more restorative, that brought restorative, which was transformational. But I would say chronic Lyme disease is where it brought in many, 
different practices, restorative yoga, yoga nidra, nutrition, learning about the vagus nerve, trauma, qigong, um, the elements, shamanic practices, drumming. It, chronic Lyme disease had me kind of dig, dig and dig into those deeper layers. And um, I'm so grateful for that because I use all of these practices and now I share some of these tools that have literally changed my life on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So I hope that answered that question. Yeah, it was definitely better than the asking of the question. I, it was awesome. Yes. It's never too late. It's never too late. You know, and it's interesting no. the things that inspire us to do that digging. You know, yes. it doesn't always have to be something like chronic illness, although um, we had a conversation recently with a young woman who has a, a rare chronic disease that, you know, is all about the stories we tell ourselves and, uh, and you know, in the embodiment. But it can be something like being struck by, by love. It can be struck by the beauty of a sunset. And you think, wow, all of a sudden, the mystery of the world becomes the, the thing you want to discover, you know? And so it, it's always interesting to me, the thing that sparks the interest in even pursuing something other than, you know, the normal, blah, the loose quote, normal everyday stuff. Um, I love that you share that it's both because often people think that they almost have to have that breakdown or hit that rock bottom before transformation takes place. So I love what you just shared. I totally agree with that. It feels like those those things that happen in our life, those moments in our life, for me, when I look back, they become my pivot points. The times where in retrospect, I can look back and say, that's when I started to um, learn about touch when I went to massage school or, you know, when I complemented my massage training with the yoga teacher training. That's when I started bringing in the softer practices, the, you know, coming out of my sciencey head and mm -hmm. into um, something that was creative and, you know, maybe a softer, a softer science. Uh, but you have a lot of pivot moments that you've shared, like you live in Thailand um, <laughs> so tell us about how you got there. You mentioned earlier, you know, when you're living out of a suitcase. So can you share that pivot? What brought you to Thailand? Why you chose Thailand? Sure. So it's kind of interesting. My husband and I had been following other, we've always loved traveling, by the way. So we've been traveling for probably 20 years. It's sort of always been a passion of ours. And uh, we both turned 50 last year. And of course, after doing all this digging and going deep and, you know, learning more about simplicity, right? Just craving more simplicity in life. And of course, witnessing other um, travelers that had, that were doing this, they were kind of leaving their life behind to start something new and travel and just explore and discover because traveling has always taught us so many lessons. And so the big, the big difference here is we actually decided to get rid of everything. So not just let's leave the house behind and our cars and let's go travel. It was sort of a, a moment where we're like, what, what if, almost like a what if, what would happen if we sold our house, if we sold our two cars and we sold all our stuff, all our belongings and that conversation that we had, you know, was kind of crazy at first. We're like, I don't know, we can't do that. That would be so crazy. 
but yet there was such a craving for it, this sense, I would say, of freedom, of leaving it all behind and, and really, because my husband and I are both organizers, planners, we both have been our entire life in our jobs. And so it was almost like a leap of faith of saying, all right, let's hold hands and let's jump off the cliff and let's just go for it and see where, where life takes us. Because at the end of the day, you can always buy another house, you can always buy another car, and you can always buy more stuff. And so it kind of became a joke of mine to say like, who needs stuff anyways, right? <laughs> so it's, it's that whole lesson of like, we have so many attachments and letting go of those attachments because we were so driven to explore, to go to different places in the world to explore. And Thailand was actually a place that we never, um, to answer your question, why Thailand? We actually discovered Thailand eight years ago on our way to New Zealand. It was never planned to come to Thailand. We ended up at this hotel where we are at right now, where we've been for three months. And somehow we fell in love with this place. We just fell in love with this place and we were drawn to coming back. And so for me, it's also the, the spiritual aspects of, you know, Thailand and Bali, I'm drawn to learning about the temples and the practices that they use. Um, it's just a, an amazing culture and the energy is very special. I'm very sensitive to energy. And when I came to Thailand, it was just like, what can I say? It feels like home. It feels like home to me. So, I, I, can, I have to interrupt you for one second because we were talking sure. about language before and I want to hear about all the pivot points. Um, but when we're talking about attachment and you use the word craving, that you were craving it. And craving is often a word that we use in some of these spiritual conversations about things that we're working to, you know, we don't want to avoid or move too far into, but we want to work with cravings. So I found it interesting that the craving was for less, not for acquisition. It was for yeah. a, a liberation and a freedom that came from the thing that we in spiritual practices and traditions are looking to move into. So I just had to, I, it, you know, as someone who loves words and who loves to write and all of that, I found that to be really poetic. And, and it's, like you point. said, yeah, because like you said, craving can look at as a negative thing, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. cravings for bad foods. But for me, it's almost like a, I would say like more space around my heart, like a craving mm -hmm. for more space and, and freedom, just the freedom to let go of planning and organizing, which I did my whole life as a teacher, like from day, day in and day out to just literally going with the flow like people are asking us all the time when are you coming back and i love that our answer is we don't know we actually don't know we don't even know where we're going to be in september right so it's and and for that it's it was a challenging for us i won't lie to you it was challenging for us that was a big leap of faith for us to do this but at the same time we're we're loving it we're loving that it's kind of like we're loosening the grip that we had on that steering wheel of having to, you know, say we're going to go here and then we're going to go here. And instead, it's almost like setting that intention when I'm in the pool of take us where we are meant to be next. Take, take me where I need to meet my, the next teachers on my path, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just kind of opening up to all possibilities and just um, Tr having to trust, it's, which is challenging, but having to trust that we're always taken where we are meant to, to go and to be. Sherry was right in the um, similarities of our path.
because I've also sold everything that I have, the house, the, um, I do still have a car, but the house, all of our belongings, and became location independent, going from place to place, planning where you're going next when you're done, whenever that is, with the place yeah. that you are at the moment. And I'm in that same flow right now. You're talking about having flow and not holding on to and the practice of non-attachment. And I think that once you, once I stepped on to, you know, being okay with not having a lot of stuff and being okay with moving from one place to the other, um, I didn't like change. So I was very happy feeling rooted in my stuff and in my home and in my garden until I wasn't. And then it was like, oh, okay, yes, this is the next thing. And, you know, I'm moving right now as well um, with a little bit of freedom to go from place to place and just see where's life yeah. going to take me next. And it is, it's, it's liberating to know that it's not scary. It can be challenging, but yeah. it's not scary anymore. Yes, I agree. And, and it brings in that coming back to the elements, the water element of going with the flow and that it's okay if the earth element is a little bit shaken in that process where you're like, I'm not feeling so grounded right now. I'm not sure where we're going next, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming back to those practices that ground me to go with the flow and just trust. Right. And, you know, our listeners can't see you, but you have, I see you going from mudra to mudra with your hands. And then when you talk, you like me, you talk with your hands and then you rest back in a mudra. And I've seen a couple different ones. And so, you know, this whole thing is about embodiment and practices and the things that we do to self-soothe and to self-care that, you know, it can, I, I don't want to demonize the bubble bath. I mean, I think a bubble bath is great. And I took one the other day that is part of a self-care, but not an acute self-care moment, you know, that every moment can bring in this, this uh, opportunity to take care of ourselves. And I'm watching you do that as we talk. And it's really very beautiful. So, you know, I want to get into, you know, we've talked about some of the practices and, you know, there's this one question that we always ask people, and that is, what would your TED Talk be? And so I would love to hear what your TED Talk would be, because I have a feeling um, that would be a benefit to many people. So my TED Talk would be a new vision for sleep. Oh, um, human beings are like cars. And I know it seems really interesting, but what I learned through um, my journey with chronic Lyme disease and learning all of these, these practices is that what really helped me shift in healing was sleep. Um, I, it didn't matter if I ate super well, you know, I ate a, nutri a, a very healthy diet. I was doing restorative already. I was doing breathing techniques. I was doing a lot of great practices, but I needed to do a little bit more to um, work on the nervous system, to relax the nervous system, to go to those deeper layers of uncovering some trauma that was there as well. So, um, and what I discovered is that sleep was the big game changer. Once I started sleeping in a better way and I used all of the different practices that have helped me sleep, that then, then I started healing very, very quickly because I was getting the rest that I needed to heal. I really believe that we need deep rest 
to heal on all levels. Because if we're always in overdrive in the sympathetic nervous system, uh, fight or flight, that we can be like that all night while we're lying in bed, right? That's what people sometimes will wake up and they'll say, I've slept for 10 hours and I still feel like I got run over by a truck. Um, so, so really human beings are like cars. And I'll just give you a few examples that, for example, the gas pedal, right? The gas pedal is if we always have our foot on the gas pedal and we go, 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 and we never stop, we never take a break for ourselves. Um, and then we have all this stress, then we stay stuck in the fight or flight. So it's almost like taking the foot off the gas pedal and applying it on the brakes would then activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, which is when healing takes place. Then you look at the, the steering wheel, right? So the question I often ask students is, you know, do we have, can you take a look at how tightly you grasp the steering wheel and wanting control in your life and wanting to have the exact outcome that you have in your mind, right? So we have to learn how to loosen that grip on the steering wheel. We have to take a look at the speedometer. We get to choose every, in every moment how fast we want to go or how slow we want to go. So we need to, need, need to look at our own speedometer, right? Then you have the rear view mirror. Take a look at the rear view mirror all the time in our past. And we keep replaying these stories that you both have shared very often, replaying these stories, replaying the trauma, replaying how we've been hurt, um, that we stay stuck in that. So we have to kind of take a look like, am I repeating these patterns, right? Am I repeating these old habitual patterns that I've had my whole life? So are we always looking at the rear view mirror instead of looking ahead, right, where we're going? So, I mean, these are just some of the examples, but in my, in my restorative sleep program, I actually take a look at all the different parts of the car and how we, how, how sleep is very much like, um, how human beings are very much like cars. And when we can take a look at all those aspects of life, right? Even the, the windshield, clearing the windshield once in a while, cleansing, um, that so many shifts take place and, and sleep really, um, really is affected when we start using all of these practices, not just physically doing a restorative practice, but where am I grasping in my life? Where am I always in the past? Because we all know that when we look at our thoughts, you know, that's a big one, right? Even here in Buddhism, you know, when we, when we go to the temple, it's all about how our thoughts and our mind can create a lot of suffering. And that suffering in our mind really affects our sleep. So it's, it's it, you know, you can eat all the, the fresh fruit and vegetables you want, which is important. Don't get me wrong. That is all important. But we really need to address um, the mind in a massive way, which is why that's a big focus of what I teach through all these practices. That's beautiful. And, you know, I had a teacher who once was talking about, you know, how we are everything, all of the elements, and you were talking about elements before, and she used the car as an example of the elements that you wouldn't think that we could be like a car, you know, but the car has a body. It's actually called a body. It's got fluid, like the water element and the gas and that fluid that clears the windshield. It's got the fire element and the engine and, you know, all of the different elements that we are are in the car that you, you would think we tend to look 
at nature, the tree and the, the water and the mountain and all the things that are obviously nature. But then the things, everything is nature because we came here with nothing. We created everything. So even, you know, the stuff we don't think of. So I, there's this beautiful symmetry to the elements and this sleep uh, metaphor using the car. And I think that that program is going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited about it because it's it's kind of like sharing my many passions, right? It's oh. sort of like I learned about restorative. I learned about yoga nidra. I learned about meditation and the vagus nerve and nutrition. And it's kind of like a, it feels fun for me because it's sort of like it's like almost like getting like new little toys and you just mm -hmm. and they're all small bite sized tools because for me, it's all about <laughs> practical bite-sized tools we don't all have an hour a day to do a practice it's the poo-poo platter real. of practices again we come up with the we said this last week about the poo-poo platter you know when you go to a chinese <laughs> restaurant and you get the little appetizers the poo-poo platter it's a poo-poo yes. platter of practices and we get the alliteration to boot so it's <laughs> right on <laughs> i love it so yeah that's sort of what my restorative sleep program is it's like many appetizers of, of everything and the moose so, yeah. Would you like an amuse-bouche? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've told us about your practices, it would be great if you could share some with us and the listeners. Um, do you have something that you could guide us yeah. through? Absolutely. So what I'd love to do just for sake of time um, is sort of give you a little bit of an appetizer of what I do. It'll just be like a five-minute um, meditation that includes a restorative pose, a mudra, it'll bring in the elements and breathing. And so um, what I would love our listeners to do is to actually set up in this simple restorative pose called constructive rest. And you don't need to see anything for this. All you need to do is lie down on your back with your knees bent and your feet on the floor. And just bring your feet a few inches from your seat while keeping the feet hip width apart or slightly wider. And either rest your hands onto your lower belly, or if you'd like to experience a very grounding mudra, take your right hand and wrap the fingers of the right hand around the thumb of the left hand or vice versa. It doesn't matter which hand you use. So I'll repeat that. Take your right hand and wrap the fingers around the thumb of the left hand so that you're actually encasing the entire thumb from the base to the tip. This will help you feel grounded to the earth very quickly, creating a sense of safety to help you release worry. And so simply a gentle hold you, as you rest both hands on your belly. And now welcome your breath into your body now. Breathing in through the nose and breathing out through the nose. And do this again a few more times. Simply breathing with ease and grace. And let the breath soften your belly even more. Can you let your breath soften your shoulders more? And let your heart rest into your back. Let your head rest heavily on the earth. And trust that you are being held and supported by the earth. The earth welcomes you. Now begin to sense your whole jaw. 
unhinge the jaw and notice the space around your temples and soften the space between the eyebrows and relax the skin of your forehead. Can you sense your teeth, gums, roof of the mouth, inside the right cheek, inside the left cheek, the right ear, the inner ear, all the way up towards the folds of the ear and the earlobe. Just noticing the right ear, listening to the sound of my voice. And then the left ear towards the outer ear and the folds of the ear and earlobe. Noticing the ear receptive to each sound and then the space that exists between the ears. Can you imagine the space as effortless, deeply resting? And let all the muscles behind the eyes soften, releasing, eyes sinking back and down into the skull, eyes become heavy. Now notice the five fingertips of your right hand and the space between the fingers and the space around your right hand. And notice the five fingertips of your left hand and the space between the fingers and the space around your left hand. And now sense all of your toes, sense the space between your toes and the space around each foot. Can you feel both feet simultaneously connected to the earth? And imagine your body becoming heavy, whole body sinking into the earth whole body sinking deeper and deeper and welcoming the natural continuous breath. How would you feel if you were drifting off to sleep? May we trust that if we notice our feet kissing the earth, we will know how to find balance. May we trust that if we feel water in motion, we will value going with the flow. May we trust that if we watch a flickering flame, we will learn to dance to our own truth. May we trust that if we listen to the wind and our breath, we will know the direction to go. May we build altars to all that we love. May we learn that our ability to love ourselves and others is the marker of our wealth. Gratitude, clarity, unity, and love. May we, may we weave everything together the pieces of our own life and the pieces of the world so that we can see this perfect tapestry. 
may we trust the weaving. And in the sweet silence of the heart, we find clarity. May we keep remem remembering and may we keep listening. And so just be here and receive what is offered. It is the greatest gift we will ever receive. And so allow yourself to experience silence now for just a few moments. And notice the silent space between the inhalation and the exhalation. And slowly deepen your breath. You can invite some gentle movements into your fingers and your toes. You can draw the knees in toward your chest and gently roll to the right side, resting your head on your arm or your pillow. And then gently press your left hand into the earth and like water, allow yourself to flow back up into a comfortable seated position of your choice. I invite you to bring your hands together at your heart space in Anjali Mudra or prayer pose and bow your head down to your own beautiful heart. Namaste. That was beautiful. I think <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep tonight building altars to all that I love. Mm -hmm. That sentence, that piece, um, I, it, it's, it's like candy to me. It was like you said it and I felt a sweetness in my mouth that landed right in my heart. And I'm wearing a big heart necklace right now. And yeah, I love um, it. What, what an offering. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was you're so welcome. It was my pleasure. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. So you have a program coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Did you launch that program yet? I did. I just did a few weeks ago, actually, and it's a restorative um, sleep program. And, um, you know, just because of time, I just want um, people to know that if they want to get a, a little bit of a taste of what I do, that, you know, they're all welcome to um, go to my website, restorewithgiselle.com. I know you'll have the link that you can share. Um, they can check out my offerings, my virtual offerings there with Restorative and Yoga Nidra. Um, but I also, um, on this program where I created the sleep program, I have this free 44-minute meditation, and it's actually called Drifting Off to Sleep that everyone is welcome to um, try out. It's a free meditation for anyone. And I will also give you the link for that, which also takes everyone to the link to my restorative sleep program, which has um, the curriculum with a little bit of everything of the appetizers. I love that you call them appetizers, <laughs> Sherry, of <laughs> you know how the, the program includes restorative divine sleep yoga nidra, exercises like the thumb holding for the vagus nerve, self-massage and acupressure points, qigong, 
um, healthy nutrition. It's sort of a little bit of everything, but they will be able to see the sort of the curriculum to get an idea of what it's all about. And they're more than welcome to reach out to me. I'm always happy to reach out with anyone. Uh, I'm obviously 11 hours ahead, but if they want to send me an email or, you know, make a, an appointment to have a phone call. I'm happy to explain a little bit more about this program, but it's a little bit of, a little bit of everything to basically help you sleep, help relax the nervous system, but also work on the hidden factors such as trauma, um, relationship issues like codependency. It's sort of a little bit of everything to go to those deeper layers. So I will share those link um, with you. And I would love to, if anyone wants to try a class and join me in, in Thailand, I always share a little bit of Thailand as well in my classes through my themes. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And this is, you know, one last shout to anything else you want to amplify. If it's a program, a message, a feeling, a word, you know, something that you would like to leave our listeners with, what lucky listeners today? Ugh. I would just say get in nature, it, you know, because there's so much on right now. Um, I think nature is medicine for the soul. So just get outside, connect in nature in any way that you can to those elements and um, notice the shifts take place. Thank you for being here, Giselle. As always, I always leave time with you learning something, but feeling so soothed and relaxed. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. It's been an honor to be here. And thank you for all of the work that you do to spread that love and kindness. I think we all have this common mission of spreading love and kindness. And um, thank you so much for all of your work as well. Well, that wraps up season two. We covered a ton in 10 episodes. We started by asking, what is embodiment? And had Corey Finer share her wise and wonderful poetry in episode two. Then we moved into looking at embodiment through the lens of archetypes and patterns and had Rochelle Clausen bring her science and creative arts background to the story in episode four. The hero's journey became the heroine's journey and we landed in the language of the heroic journey and how our life paths become part of who we are and then change us, become who we are and change us again. From there, we talked about the stories we tell ourselves after the because. You know, the stories we make up about others and that others do to us, to fill in the spaces between knowing. If only we'd just ask the source. And so we did, and had a conversation with Christy McCracken, who shared her story of living with rare disease in episode eight. Concluding our season on embodiment, we thought it best to provide some practices that take the conversations out of our minds, or Manamaya Kosha from season one, and into our bodies, Anamaya Kosha. Giselle Mogan is the perfect voice to leave with our listeners. Her gentle, compassionate approach to being alive in her body is infused in her teachings and dealings with other bodies. That's episode 10. Thank you to all of our guests for showing up and sharing your perspectives, talents, and love with our listeners. And thank you to all of you out in listening land. We may not be able to see you, but we can feel you. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people. 
so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.
Well, that wraps up season two. We covered a ton in 10 episodes. We started by asking what embodiment is and had Corey Finer share her wise and wonderful poetry in episode two. Then we moved into looking at embodiment through the lens of archetypes and patterns and had Rochelle Clausen bring her science and creative arts background to the story in episode four. The hero's journey became the heroine's journey and we landed in the language of the heroic journey and how our life paths become part of who we are and then change us, become who we are and change us again. From there, we talked about the stories we tell ourselves after the because, you know, the stories we make up about others and that others do to us to fill in the spaces between knowing if only we just ask the source. Concluding our season on embodiment, we thought it best to provide some practices that take the conversations out of our minds or Manamaya Kosha from season one and into our bodies, Anamaya Kosha. Giselle Mogan is the perfect voice to leave our listeners with. Her gentle, compassionate approach to being alive in her body is infused in her teachings and dealings with other bodies. Thank you to all of our guests for showing up and sharing your perspectives, talents, and love with our listeners. And thank you to all of you out in listening land. We may not be able to see you, but we can feel you.